without further ado, um, we're going to talk about what I am calling the short shelf life of the site survey. You know, surveys, as everybody knows, anybody who does wireless knows how important the survey is. It's uh, one of those fundamental um, things that's you know just basically part of uh, wireless life. But to me, um, it can also be fraught with misconception. You know, one thing uh, I think about is if you take like a land survey, you're having a piece of property surveyed, the word survey, and the results of that are gonna be pretty static and pretty unchanging. You're gonna have your borders, you're gonna have your uh, survey markers, you come back, you know, 15, 20, 100 years from now, not a lot has, is going to have changed if qualified people are doing the survey. Very, very static. As opposed to that, you take one of our wireless surveys, and to me, it's more like kind of dipping your thumb into the windstream, kind of getting a look at the the weather at a given point in time, kind of doing a, uh, a tape recording, if you will, of the way things are at the point you're doing the survey. I also find that a lot of people get caught up in the mechanics of doing the survey, <clears throat> caught up in trying to, you know, make the tool do just, you know, something just uh, so and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so much so that sometimes you'll lose sight of what's actually being done, um, you know, when you get lost in the tool and the mechanics. So, you know, there's a lot that goes into the topic, what I'm calling the short shelf life. And hopefully we can demystify uh, where I'm coming from and hopefully we can also, um, you know, get some discussion going. But the bottom line is a survey is not forever. So when I say site surveys, you know, make sure that, um, you know, we get the right uh, reference point for the rest of the discussion. Uh, I know just the notion of predictive surveys, just the that lexicon alone can kind of rub people the wrong way. I'm not talking about predictive design, you know, where you sit at your desk and you take a building that doesn't exist yet and you import floor plans and plot out a bunch of stuff and predict uh, the way things are going to be. To me, that's not a survey. So we're going to throw that right out from this discussion. Uh, we're talking about real um, surveys of live environments, and I won't read you every bullet, but there's a lot of reasons to do this. You know, maybe you're verifying a design, maybe you're troubleshooting, maybe you inherited, um, you know, some environment or you have to get ready for a new, uh, you know, kind of a particular device coming in to an environment that's never been there and you wanna make sure it's gonna work. Endless reasons to do a survey. But when we talk about surveys for the rest of this discussion, uh, it's basically any exercise that characterizes live signals and reports on them. So hopefully that sits well. And where we're going, um, you know, surveys and the heat maps, I'm kind of lumping them together. A lot of times that heat map is one of the main deliverables at the end of a survey. It's the one thing that people can latch onto and digest. And, you know, you've, you've proven your work when you hand over a, a heat map. There's certainly more to a survey, but I'm going to use uh, heat maps uh, a lot in this discussion as I talk about surveys. So we're going to talk about the shelf life. Um, in the title, we have to talk about it. We're gonna talk about what it provides and what it doesn't provide. Uh, gonna get into heat maps and their various uh, aspects, you know, how they get used. 
but more importantly, or most importantly, perhaps, um, you know, why surveys are not created equal. You know, why they're not only um, time limited or they have a shelf life, but why they're also, you know, one survey is not necessary, not necessarily equal to the next. Sorry, muted there for a minute so I could cough. So, you know, when we approach the uh, notion that surveys have shelf lives, absolutely, they're not forever. You know, the survey you do today might be invalid as early as this afternoon or may not be totally valid. I don't want to be reckless and just say it's worthless. Um, but things change quick. Live environments are variable. And that's just something we all have to live with. You know, one easy example, you take an empty stadium, you do a survey. You take a full stadium, do a survey. The results are going to be fundamentally different. Take an open floor plan, do a survey. Before move-in date, all the furniture comes and all of that. Now redo the same survey and you're going to find things are vastly different. There's lots of examples of um, the variability of environments. And all of those uh, contribute to the shelf life. You know, how long a given survey is quote unquote good for. And we'll talk about more of this. But the last bullet there, I really want to um, make sure that we all notice, you know, how is the survey tool or the operator changed? You might do a survey with a version of the same tool today, show up six months from now, now you've got a different version of that tool, there's been updates, or you have a different person running that tool, even if the version hasn't changed, whatever, and you can come away with fundamentally different results. So um, there's a lot of nuance here, and you have to recognize that, you know, a lot of this is not, again, back to the land survey, it's not that, um, repeatable unless the conditions stay exactly the same and everything stays the same and the same person is doing it, et cetera. But again, we'll, we'll get into more of that. Yeah. So, you know, before I toggle over, uh, let your eyes roam across the screen and, and this, you know, these are some um, key ingredients to why a, a survey is, you know, shelf life limited. And for the record, this Mac does not have a touch screen. No matter how many times I touch it, it won't advance. There we go. <laughs> I can't wait for Apple to invent that and call it well, magical. Yeah, well, I, I have a Windows PC that has it, and I'm, I'm spoiled. I love it. And I know that that's a polarizing topic, but I touch this stupid Mac screen so many times, and it does nothing, and, and I don't learn, so... <laughs> So, you know, not to state the obvious, and, you know, some of this will be, but at the same time, um, it's part of the discussion. What do we actually get out of a survey, right? This is kind of the teaser slide uh, for everything that comes next, and we'll get more into these. But, uh, you know, as I've said before, a survey isn't a thing. It's not something I can hand you. Hey, here's my survey. I can give you a bunch of reports, and I can give you details of what happened when I did the survey, but the actual survey itself is more like a, um, you know, I said the word recording before, and it really is. It's like you're recording the environment at a given point in time. So maybe we're using it to validate the design to meet specific criteria. 
you know, we're gathering the configurations that went into um, how the environment is acting right now. We're getting all the signals. Yeah, we're getting the heat map and the visual stuff, the visual component at the time of the survey. And basically, we're creating an expectation that we have a general understanding of the infrastructure side that we can hand to somebody and say, yeah, this is what it was when I did it through my eyes, through my understanding of the tool, through my adapter, through my offset set up in the tool, you know, back to the variability. This is what I saw and, you know, maybe you care how I saw it or why I saw it this way, but this is what I saw at that point in time. And then what doesn't a survey provide? Again, you know, there's two sides of every coin. It absolutely does not provide a guarantee of ongoing uh, performance. And this is where we get into some of the misconceptions. You know, my guy was here a couple of weeks ago and he did a survey and everything was good then. So because he did a survey and things were good then, I shouldn't have any problems. I paid for a survey. Well, it, it just doesn't work that way. It's not a one and done thing. Um, it doesn't guarantee everything. It doesn't lock your conditions to, you know, no variability whatsoever. It doesn't keep people from bringing in uh, partition furniture. It doesn't, you know, stop the shelves of inventory from changing around. Um, you know, it's just silly to think that a survey in and of itself provides any guarantees of anything, right? It's a characterization exercise. It doesn't give us an infallible reference. And if you use it that way, you know, you're kind of doing it at your own, what I call peril, not to be melodramatic. But I've seen this enough times where it kind of bothers me. You know, somebody says, well, I had a survey done. Okay, and, well, shouldn't everything be good? I, I, I took the time to pay for a survey. Yeah, but, you know, there's more to it than that. What do you think that that survey actually did for you other than tell you what was going on at that time and let you know that, you know, you did do a good job of the design you got and all that at the time worked and the configurations worked at the time, but it doesn't make anything last forever in the environment. And as I mentioned before, you know, Jim does a survey and I do a survey. What, well, why would we end up with two different results? Uh, well, you know, are we using the same tool? Do we both have the same level of proficiency on the tool? Did we use the same adapter? Did we use the same offset? Do we have the same understanding of the requirements, right? Um, you know, there's a lot that a survey doesn't provide along with what it does provide. And then the ever popular uh, heat map. I, I call it functional eye candy. Um, very, very, um, important you know it's not a i don't mean to diminish the importance of a heat map by calling it you know functional eye candy but it's a visual approximation of a whole bunch of things when you think about it you know and it visual stuff is easier to consume than big tables and long reports and all of that so it is very very important but like any map the uh, representations probably aren't perfect and they certainly are not forever um, like any other part of a survey. It's a good general visual characterization of the 
um, wireless LAN. A lot of times it's an RFP requirement, and I, you know, put in parentheses, you know, proof and good. Proof that the survey was good. Again, at that moment in time, if I use the tool right, I can show you, yep, you know, here's my survey. When I did this, everything worked out really good, and here's the proof. Um, you know, kind of beating the, the point into the ground when I keep saying point in time, but it, it is, to me, hyper important to understand that. Then also, the um, just like with the survey itself, the heat map can be influenced by the person creating it and any other number of settings, you know, proof, uh, proof positive of that. This is the same floor plan, uh, same AP, same power, same everything. I basically moved one slider so I could make the point. Um, I understood the requirements to be something on, on um, you know, the left side and the next person to do the survey read it a little bit different and he's on the right side. And even though everything about this is real and identical and um, carbon copy in reality, if you go to the environment, the visuals come out different. It's just in the way that we use the tool. It's just in the way that something got interpreted. And without context, if I hand this to a customer, the diagram on the right is like, okay, well, this isn't good. I need more AP. I need more APs. I need more power. I need, I need something. You know, white is not good. So, you know, hopefully the point is being made. Then even on the left in the upper, uh, you know, the upper left of the right side on the left floor plan, where we see just a little teeny tiny bit of white. I don't think I can put a cursor over it. I can't you see just a little teeny bit of white, I guarantee in reality, um, that is not a dead zone. The coverage there is just fine, but the way that the attenuation sources and everything else got put in for this particular um, survey leads you to think, if you didn't know better, that we have a dead spot even on the left side. So, uh, you know, a lot goes into this that just is not perhaps uh, precise and can lead to bad conclusions. So am I throwing dirt at the, am I throwing dirt at the uh, survey process? Um, no, not really. Um, I'm not saying they have no value. I don't mean that in any uh, way, shape or form. Um, you know, I'll expound on that a little bit more, but the only way they're going to stay truly consistent is if you do it, you know, you know, T1, then you do it T2, then you do it at T3. The only way you're going to get consistency through those uh, different points in time is if nothing changes. By saying nothing, I mean absolutely nothing. Uh, same person, same tool, same settings, same environment. Nothing has changed. Doors are in the same position they were when you did the first survey. They're either open or they're shut. The metal door has not been replaced with a wooden door. There's not a new filing cabinet, you know, in the boss's office, you know, that's the only way things are going to stay truly consistent. Now the trick is, does the variability really matter? Are you still meeting requirements? You know, so what if, you know, one cell changed a little bit and the next cell changed in a different way is the overall, um, you know, the overall uh, 
what the system equals in the end, is that still good? You know, that's really what's important. But things are going to change. And I've also seen cases where that last bullet there, um, things changed. I don't understand why they changed. Probably isn't gonna sit real well with the people I have to hand the survey to. Maybe I better start changing some of the knobs in the tool so that my second heat map looks a lot like my first heat map. So, you know, I'm saying your surveys and your heat maps will be consistent if nothing changes. And I'm also saying you can achieve the perception of consistency basically by cheating. Unfortunately, that happens, but it, it's really not good either. So it's not news. Most environments do change. This is where we meet the real world. Um, again, I won't go through all of the um, bullets, but any number of uh, ads or changes to the environment will change the survey. It doesn't mean things are bad, things are wrong. It doesn't mean you necessarily need more APs. It doesn't mean whoever did the initial job did something wrong. It just means that the environment changed. And a lot of times the survey is used when we're troubleshooting or whether or when we're, um, you know, a lot of times when we're troubleshooting or when we're doing individual client support or we're trying to find something that isn't wireless but feels wireless, we find ourselves doing a survey. We should expect changes. We should expect the first survey to not be totally duplicatable because the environments do change. And for whatever reason, I find even, you know, wireless professionals that, that aren't totally comfortable with that. You know, if something changes, something is wrong. And that's just not the case. So um, hopefully the point has been made, um, hopefully uh, pretty clearly. I'm not trying to be a bummer. I'm not trying to downplay the value um, proposition of surveys. Basically, if a design was really good to begin with, the fact that the survey process is variable shouldn't even really matter that much, right? But anyone involved needs to understand the nuances. Hey, why did my picture change? Hey, why does my heat map look different? Well, you know, this wall was added. This thing happened over here. The initial one was done with an empty auditorium. When I did it this time, you got 400 people in the auditorium. There's reasons for those changes, and people just need to understand that, you know, the visual, you know, the tables that are so boring to read and all of that, the, the spreadsheets and the textual reports, um, those changes do not negate their value. And then um, the question about the NMS-generated heat maps, the network management system, your your uh, airwaves and your PIs of the world, prime infrastructure, and you know, I, I forget what the other ones are, but you know, there's Aruba and Cisco for you. Very much so, if you're using RRM, you should expect those heat maps to change, right? Um, you know, that's what RRM does. So variability there absolutely should be expected on occasion. Again, I'm not trying to muddy the water of what a survey is by mentioning them, but it is an important point because it is a source of a heat map.
making sure we're doing okay on time here. And we are. So, um, you know, for all of this uh, talk about surveys and heat maps, to me, the, you know, the takeaways, hopefully you get from this, the surveys absolutely have value um, to say that we could do without them in all but the smallest environments. I, I don't believe that at all um, when they're done right. Yes, they absolutely validate designs. Um, even if you're not doing a full survey, um, they're uh, absolutely instrumental to troubleshooting. And, you know, they, they just have multiple purposes. Going back to the beginning um, list of why we do surveys and the different types of surveys. A survey just isn't as simple as a map of where APs are. Each one of those APs has all kinds of stuff going on between uh, power settings and channel settings and timers and thresholds and features that are enabled, both 802.11 based features and then vendor optional features. All of those end up contributing in some shape or fashion to the overall survey. Whether they're important to the survey that you're doing um, depends on what the requirements are for that survey and what you're trying to validate. But that survey process can be very nuanced and very complicated, or it can be very simple. Channel and power, yep, I got good coverage. Um, you know, all depends on what you're going for. And again, this is why they're not all created equal. You know, they're done for different purposes. They're done to different criteria. The big um, human component, excuse me, the big human component um, factor. I, I don't know why this, I don't wanna say it bothers me, but I don't think it's given enough attention overall. You know, we all buy Ekaha, we all buy Tamosoft, we all buy a Sidekick, we all do something and, you know, we get lost in the tool and we think that the tool makes us a good surveyor. And it just doesn't work that way. We all, um, you know, the variability that goes on in our minds and our understanding even of, you know, complexities of 802.11, those come out in surveys. So, you know, go to a training class where you're doing a survey alongside somebody else and you find out, you know, yours looks different from the next guy. So who's right, who's wrong? Maybe neither, maybe both. Um, <laughs> all depends on how you went at it, even though you're using, you know, the same tools and the same settings and the same everything. Um, you know, don't discount the human component. Sometimes it's almost like they're going to a doctor and getting a second opinion. If a survey is that critical and you're the consumer of the survey and it just looks wrong, or you're the boss of a, you know, you're the, the supervisor of a survey crew and somebody hands you something that just doesn't look right, um, you know, don't, necessarily call the tool into question, but also focus on who's actually using the tool and how they're doing it. And, um, you know, the human part of it absolutely cannot be discounted. And just remember, um, you know, the, the drum beat I've been, you know, banging on all through this, we're sampling the RF at a point in time. And when we talk about RF, for many of us, at least I know in my environments, never has it been more variable. I can go stand in the same exact spot, maybe you know, 10 times a day, depending on what's going around, going on around me, and it looks just like 10 different environments as far as 
what's going on at the RF level. And, you know, maybe we all don't have that sort of variability, but many of us do. And you really have to kind of not just do a survey, the point in time, um, you know, exercise, but you also have to apply some, some big thinking to it to understand that, okay, if I did this, you know, at another point in the day, or if I did this next week, it's going to look different and here's why, you know, you, you have to be able to add that thought to any survey that you either do or consume. And with that, I'm hoping we got some questions. Nice. That's one of your own uh, drone photography photos, isn't it? That is Scipio, New York. Um, my wife and I are taking rocks from a farmer's field to improve the shoreline at our camp. While I'm flying the drone, my wife is heaving rocks in the truck <laughs> and I'm trying to avoid work and doing like this. But that is Scipio, New York, the New York countryside, the lake in the uh, horizon is a Wasco Lake. And just if anybody thinks all of New York is New York City, I've just proven you wrong. Beautiful. Well, I want to encourage all of our attendees to use the Q&A panel to uh, ask questions for Lee. Um, we've got a few uh, that have already come in here, Lee. And um, why don't we start with this one uh, from Steve, who says, how often uh, do you resurvey the same site? Uh, boy. Um... Generally for me, my world is uh, 300 buildings, various numbers of floors, various uses in those buildings. Um, generally, if there is some kind of new device that's got weird wonky requirements, like in the stadium we have when they changed um, scanner types, you know, that was one case where we did a survey just to get a feel for, um, you know, how the, did another survey to get a feel for how the new um, scanner types might behave in the existing environment and um, tried to use the survey tool set to emulate the you know the new scanner but generally it's more once the design is proven at least for me if there's not some significant uh, change that's going to happen whether it be you know changing from one, um, you know, like 11N to 11AC or, you know, the device thing that I mentioned. Usually it ends up being just during troubleshoot and support. Something is so weird and wonky that, you know, we have to go there and try to figure out, well, what changed in this environment, that a floor plan changed that we didn't know about. And a lot of times when you're doing the, the revisit like that, you know, it's not just the tool that you're staring at and walking around. It's also, you know, you're half using the tool and half just being aware of what's going on, looking for things that looked different from before and, you know, maybe talking to people. And so, you know, a survey, to me, a survey in that regard um, is beyond just, you know, what am I seeing in the RF? A lot of it is, you know, talk to people and look around and, um, you know, use yourself as uh, as much of a survey tool as the actual, um, you know, RF uh, characterization, whatever you're using. But, you know, again, it depends. As a yeah. friend of mine would say, it depends. I like that idea because I've certainly had that experience doing surveys where you ask end users, hey, how's the Wi-Fi around here? 
because that often will spur you know some interesting discussions it's rarely oh it's perfect nothing's wrong uh, they they could tell you some things that you know they've not called the help desk about they just deal with but you might actually be able to fix yeah absolutely so Ahmed in Saudi Arabia, and I appreciate you uh, tuning in uh, in the evening, Ahmed, uh, has a question. Is there a way to consolidate the output of multiple surveys? Oh, goodness. I'm going to say it depends. I'm going to say it depends for anything that anybody asks. So. I'm just going to mute myself and Jim, you can say it depends. The product responds, it depends. Yes, that, that's the product's tagline. Uh, so this is where you get into the variability of tools and I can't claim to be a, you know, Ekahal power user. I have a feeling that there are ways to do it. Um, but I would also say that it's probably a question better asked to, um, you know, if we're talking Echo specifically or IB Wave or Tamasoft or whatever, uh, I'm sure there's absolutely manual ways to take a bunch of surveys and munch them together and, and provide a report. You know, there's that. But if you're asking, is there automated um, ways of doing it? I think it's going to come down to the individual survey tool. Um, you know, if you're not talking the automated inbuilt native capabilities of the tool and you're just talking, you know, manually doing it, you you can manually do anything you want to any, uh, you know, document or series of documents if you're creative enough. But I have a feeling the question is more um, aimed at the particular um, tools. And like I say, I, I think you'd have to ask uh, the either the maker of those tools or somebody who's uh, again, what I'm calling a power user of those tools, and I, I have a feeling there's a lot of them that are listening right now. Yeah, cool. Um, question uh, from Chris. He says, uh, in between surveys, uh, what can 7Signal do to help? Um, and I can take that one. So uh, definitely one of the use cases for our sensors and Sapphire Eye and our software and mobile eye is giving you extra RF visibility on an ongoing basis, including some of the things that you would look for in a site survey. So uh, discovering co-channel interference and adjacent channel interference and uh, coverage problems and things like that, that you would measure in a site survey, uh, you can get some insight with our tool. So appreciate that question, Chris. Um, another question here, um, uh, from a different Chris who says when doing an AP on a stick survey do you try to do it during working hours with people or uh, after hours with an empty building well the product says it depends next <laughs> uh, just kidding ideally you would do your survey uh, under um, you know, under the conditions where the wireless is actually going to be used the most for, you know, production purposes, real operations. It's just not um, possible at times, but if you can, if you're allowed to be there um, when things are really happening, that's where you're absolutely going to get your most value. Um, you know, whether it's the AP on a stick or whether it's a 
you know, live survey of an existing environment that you've inherited, whatever. If you can be there during, um, you know, what I call operational, typical operational conditions, absolutely you're going to get your best value um, during during those times. Yeah, and uh, and one last question here, Lee. I mean, given the variability and and survey results, uh, even just between engineers that are doing the surveys, even with the same tools, uh, how do you account for that in your designs? Because I think sometimes you know we see the survey and it says, you know, it's neg 67 is my design requirement, and I can see I'm right there in neg 67, so I'm good to go because my survey is, you know the the end all be all it's the rf truth but you know to your point that you've illustrated today depending on who's doing the measuring the measuring tool the adapters changes in the environment there's variability in in those results so how do you account for that when you're you know doing designs well the more um accuracy you can bring to it from you know any number of directions the the more accurate you're going to be as silly as that sounds you know your your walls if you can actually measure um your walls if you can actually get the attenuation of the walls um you know versus guessing well that's going to be more accurate if you can get more sample points that's going to result in more accuracy um you know rather than when you do your walkabout Rather than having a hundred little green dots on the map, if you've got 500, chances are you're going to be more accurate. The more places you're sampling, um, the more accurate you're going to be. If your maps are properly, your floor plans and maps are properly um, scaled, and you've you know done due diligence to get the walls in, um, you know, properly and accurately, and tried to account for features like gigantic glass you know, weird statues and, you know, in a lobby or, or whatever, you know, um, any number of, you're never going to be totally accurate. You can't account for any, everything, but the more that you can account for and bring into your design, uh, the more accurate you're going to be right down to the offset of the tool for the expected devices that you're going to be supporting and, and all of that. Just, you know, more is better as long as that more is accurate. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, uh, Don, do we have time for one last question? Yeah, I think we do. We're uh, we, we're right on time right now. So yeah, one last uh, quick question from Craig. Do you draw walls in Ekahau for AP on a stick surveys or just desktop designs? Uh, I, I do it for everything. Um, I did too. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure why you wouldn't. I'd be I'd be curious to hear what the the thought is behind um not doing it. And maybe maybe there's a reason, but I'm I'm taken aback that um somebody wouldn't do the walls for um an AP on a stick survey. Yeah, I do it too, and I think part of it is the you know, in between those data points where you actually have hard survey data, Ekahau or whatever tool is doing predictive modeling again, right? Because if you don't have a data point from every single point on the map, it has to generate data, you know, a, a predictive uh, point. So 
in those areas, uh, certainly having walls uh, and other objects, if you can define, is going to increase that accuracy. All right, Don, I think that uh, about wraps it up. 